Welcome everyone to the College Parent Podcast. My name is Madison Chase. And my name is Jessup Peterson. We want to thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we will be interviewing Dr. Robert Owens and Mrs. Dana Owens and discussing sending your student to college in the age of social justice. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome Dr. Robert Owens and Mrs. Dana Owens to the College Parent Podcast. Thank you, Jessup. And uh, briefly introduce yourself at the Owens family and why you're an expert on this topic for us, please. I am Dana Owens, mom of five. I don't feel that I am an expert. I feel like I am not qualified to be an expert, but I am just a mom living through this time. And it just has called me to be knowledgeable, but not an expert. I am Robert Owens. Uh, I'm Dana's husband and father of five as well. I would agree with Dana and share that sentiment that I am not an expert. That I'm comfortable in the space because of my work the last uh, 15, 16 years around race and ethnic diversity and other forms of diversity. But I don't, I don't certainly classify myself as an, as an expert. But I'm uh, glad to be able to talk about this subject from a parent perspective, but also from a, a practitioner perspective. Awesome. So um, just to expound upon what I see as you all being experts, I'm Dr. Rob, you are the chief diversity officer at Tennessee Tech. You're a pastor of Kynos Church, which is a multi-denominational, multi-dimensional, multi-racial, multi-ethnic congregation. Um, but you also serve on nonprofit boards, such as the Highlands Residential Services, which caters to the needs of those who are underserved and underrepresented in Cookville. And then, Miss Dana, you are the First Lady and Director of Children's Ministry, also at Kynos. But beyond that, I've seen you both serve that community and serve those students and just the entire community with all the outreach that you all do. So to me, you have a first-hand account of what you see and what happens within the community. This sounds really important, all the things that you <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, we'll do our best. Cool. So can you all tell us how you would define social justice? So what is social justice to you all? Um, I, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I'll use social justice as equity for all members of society as it relates to all aspects of society, from the economic standpoint to housing where people are able to live, to, uh, I know I said economic, but specifically as it relates to jobs, people having equitable opportunities for jobs, um, and just to be able to move about freely um, when I say freely, uh, I'm not talking about from a legal standpoint. I mean from just sort of uh, unconscious um, and invisible, and in, in from the invisible standpoint. And sometimes people are encumbered by invisible barriers, able to move and go in spaces and places freely. So that's just in a nutshell kind of how I view social justice. And I think I'm more practical in treating others in the way that you want to be treated. And if you're not working to make sure that that can happen for someone else when you see that it's not happening. 
Awesome. And Jessica and I definitely agree. Going off of that, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about just, uh, social justice lately, uh, what with movements like Black Lives Matter and, and Me Too on social media in the recent years and many more coming up, it seems like almost every day. Uh, so would you all say that we're on a new wave of social justice? And how are you seeing today's college students interacting with one another because of this? Are we on a new wave of social justice? I don't think there's anything new under the sun. And I'll kind of leave that there and say that this is a a different iteration of things that have happened in years past. I think it is new because this generation, as well as maybe the previous generation, and excuse me for not knowing all the terms for that you know that the each generation has but i think this particular you know 17 to 24 generation whatever that is is new for them and then a little bit for my and rob's generation because we grew up as integrated kids we grew up as uh, students who had not didn't have to walk through integration our parents and sometimes grandparents walk through integration And so we felt the positive effects of it to go in certain spaces. And you're not the first of any particular thing. You're not the first to go through. Um, With this generation, I think it is being seen personally. I think a little bit of as clashing with this generation, with some of the older generations who felt like everything was good. We handled it. And then this generation going, no, 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 like we're seeing differences and you need to notice those differences. So I think it's happened before. It's just this generation, like I said, is kind of seeing it and waking up and realizing it's not what it looks like on paper. I guess I'll continue on where Daniel left off as I think about our own child um, and then what I've seen on campus as well, um, where I am. I think the activism sort of uh, went to sleep for generations. Dana mentioned it. She and I were part of the generation that came right after the civil rights movement. And so we, we always had at least legal access um, integration that happened completely, if you will, legally, but also in, in, in reality. You know, we both went to integrated schools. Integration wasn't even a term for us. You know, we just went to school wherever, you know, we were going to go to school. But what happened was we, we grew up not understanding fully that that social and civil injustice was happening because there was no movement at the time because we had those gains from the, the 50s and 60s up into the 70s, you know. So it's been interesting to watch sort of this groundswell over the last, and it's not just been the last four or five years, I like and I, I go all the way back to there was a group of young men in Louisiana probably 10, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, um, six of them were called the Jenna Six. I go back to their story. I go back to Jordan Russell Davis, who was shot in Florida, I think it was. I go back to uh, Trayvon Martin. That's when um, I began to see students kind of awaken to activism again. So it's not just since George Floyd. It's been before that that we've seen this awakening, if you will. Uh, not not a new movement, but just an awakening where 
people of color and underrepresented folks in general said, hey, there's still there's still inequity happening in our world from a policing standpoint on college campuses, uh, in academia. If you look at you know pay scale and, and, and some of those differences that have widened since the 60s. And so this generation has been excited for me to my wife, like my daughter, um, become an activist on a college campus um, because we just, as Dana said, we just didn't, we weren't active, you know, in the 90s. We just, we just weren't active. We were living live. We were experiencing some stuff, but it was, we just, you know, we didn't grow up knowing that those inequities existed, if you will. They were, and they were right on our nose. So it's been uh, quite interesting to see students now. 16, 17, 18 years old to really become active part of Gen Z um, and even millennials as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not new, it's just different, if you will. Um, and one, one thing I think that's different, let me add this in, is there seems to be a much broader interest in civil rights and social justice than what I have understood and seen and read about the, the most previous movements of the 50s and 60s. Um, you're seeing people of all colors be involved in the movement. And so that's been quite interesting and a breath of fresh air, if you will. And I'll say this, I think it's something that Robert and I have talked about is most of the movement previously was a religious, it came out of many churches. That's right. And so it was pastoral yeah. umbrella, if you will, the church religious umbrella, and then students move their way into those sections and sectors of faith to move this movement because it was treat your brother the same way you want to be treated. Whereas now there's not as much of that. It's just kind of the 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 student saying hey friend on social media in this city and in the next city and at the next college and at the next college, you know, and all their friends and followers and they can post it immediately and get that response and get that feedback. Whereas before it might take, you know, two or three months to get something situated and going. Now they can do it in a moment and do things at different places in a moment and not have that kind of religious umbrella to fall under. It's just, I noticed this wrong and I'm going to post about this wrong. I'm going to blog about this wrong. I'm going to vlog about this wrong. And these are my followers and they're with me and we all agree. Similar because it gets the word and the message out there, but it can just happen so much quicker now because of the access, the technological access, the social media access that the students have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that you all highlighted that these are not new issues. They're just being communicated in a new way because of social media and the access that everyone has to each other. As parents, you stated that you're a college student parent, um, church and community leaders, and administrator at a public university. Um, how have you seen today's social justice movements affect college students and then what do parents of college students need to know to help those students? Yeah, I think the, the movements have provided a safe space for students 
to be able to to speak about their concerns and to be able to find community. Um, and then and then to be able to galvanize to to feel like they're heard even outside of their their locale. Uh, Dana kind of get on that a little bit. You know what what I think is pretty cool is you know a lot of what we've seen around you know the social movement and the civil uh, uh, injustice movement of 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 now the last few years in particular is it's been it's been technological and what's unique about that is it makes it different from before you know everybody has a voice you know and you know 40 50 years ago you had to be someone that had some sort of influence in the community to really be heard and that's not the case anymore our technology basically gives us the opportunity to be heard by masses of people that don't even live near us. So you can be a you can be a poor person financially and really have no uh, influence necessarily in your physical space in your community, but you can have a large following in uh, the virtual world, if you will, and have a space and have a people group there. So I think that's given this particular iteration of the social justice movement. Uh, it's made it a lot more interesting and colorful. You know, the average Joe before, I mean, you, you had to, you know, if you were going to get some ground, you had to have a group of people around you. You know, you're meeting in churches, you're meeting in community places. Uh, that's not the case now. You could be in your garage, you could be in the bathroom, posting stuff. And if, and, if, and if you're creative enough, you can have thousands of followers uh, on, on YouTube feed or Instagram. Um, and that just, that's, that's been a game changer in terms of like action behind the social justice. I think that's why we've seen a lot of change happen in the last couple of years because things can happen so much quicker, right? Um, and I think we saw the beginnings of that when President Obama was elected the first time. He won being really intelligent and creative around uh, campaigning through virtual means and engaging the younger audience. At that time, it would have been millennials, right? And so we've seen that same sort of technology work um, around social justice. And I think college students then, 50s, 60s, and now have been the crux of the movements. Because when you think of those movements that happened then, when you had you know, SNCC and some of the others, like, I think you mentioned it, Rob, that there were different organizations that would just kind of pop up. But a lot of the movement in those cities happened because of college students. When you think of Greensboro, when you think of Nashville, when you think of the bus rides, so much of that happened because of students. And now the same thing is happening. So much of that is happening because of students. Um, but going back to your question, and it just was um, seeing the movement affect college students. I think I want to talk on the different levels of like spiritually. I think the movement has impacted different students differently because you have some students who are wondering why it's happening. Why is it still happening uh, versus those that are kind of locked in spiritually or I guess on the same vein, you know, they're locked in to, hey, 
I'm not treating my brother right or my brother's not being treated right. What can I do? You know, psychologically, I think it's impacted students of what can I do? You know, what is what am I going to do about this? How am I going to change my space? But also those students who are being impacted, you know, I think there's been some impact on those students who are now having to deal with it. Like we mentioned, we just sent our daughter, you know, she and her friends at the last election and just different things that were coming out, different elections and different things are happening in communities. You know, sometimes just psychologically, they're afraid. They're afraid of, you know, one group having a loud voice or being very angry or, you know, just with some of the anger and the the vitriol that has happened in language. So, you know, psychologically and then emotionally, just how that impacts students. I think for some, it has been difficult. I think they've had to 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 weigh that of why are, why is my brother not being treated the way that they should be? Why is my sister not being treated the way they should be? Why are my parents saying this, but I'm living this? I'm seeing this, but my parents and grandparents are doing something totally differently. And so I think it's impacting students on a lot of different levels. And I don't know if that was the direction you wanted that question to go in, but that was the first thing I started thinking was these students are walking out some difficult things, difficult emotions, and you know, and how to handle what they're seeing posted by a group or a person, maybe even within their household, their family household, versus how it's being lived out. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's great. And as we're beginning to wrap up, do you all have any advice just to other parents with students going to college soon or maybe already in college about how they can best support them during these interesting times? Be willing to have conversations with uh, their students and give give their students or students the ability to talk about what they're seeing. Both, if we're in particular, if we're talking about college students, to talk about the things that they're seeing on campus, talk about injustice that they feel like they've seen or experienced, or uh, maybe have have seen or heard about their friends experiencing. And I, when I say that, I'm talking about students of all ethnicities, gender, uh, skin color, right? Just and, and being able to be challenged a little bit as parents. Um, and then giving, student, giving their students the space to explore activism and, you know, to take some chances and to you know, to, to make statements in social media um, as it relates to politics or uh, different different areas of injustice uh, in society. And and uh, if, if there's some sort of a protest, allowing them to protest, you know, having rich conversation about that, but not necessarily telling them no, you know, it was as challenging as un- and as uncomfortable it was in the fall of 2020 on many of our college campuses, I think it was healthy for students of all types to participate in some of these different types of protests, but also at the same time for other students to not participate and to watch it happen. And then to, you know, to grapple with, you know, why, why are these things happening? Why are their kids marching? Why, you know, why, why are they drawing up signs and why are they complaining to university administrators? So I think just, 
allowing students to have flexibility to, to want to talk with their with, with you as a parent, but also to let them explore some stuff and, and be active and speak up um, or be quiet, but but make your choice <laughs> in doing that um, and not hover over them and, you know, make them be quiet or make them speak up, you know, let them navigate a little bit on their own with some wise counsel, if you will. You know, Dana, what do you think? I agree. And I think as the mom, um, <laughs> you know, my heartstrings can sometimes pull and be pulled for those students. And, you know, as the nurturer, I, I do want to keep my students safe. And so it is very easy as the mom to say, no, don't go or be quiet or don't post that. But I, I do understand what you're saying. And I think it is necessary. I do think they also need to seek forms of help or counseling if it gets to be too much, if the platforms are um, loaded and sometimes even shutting down some of those spaces and those voices. I think those voices can sometimes be overwhelming and they may push or pull a student who may not need to be pushed or pulled in a moment, whether it be spiritually or psychologically or emotionally. And so just understanding that and having that space that if they cannot get that with their parents, that those students that may be listening or parents that may know of something that may be listening, that they take that and say, hey, find a space, especially on campus, because there are so many resources that are on college campuses to have somebody to talk to because it can be overwhelming to deal with just the push or the pull. I will, I will add a, a couple other things that come to my mind, too, that I would encourage parents to, to offer to their students. And, you know, there will be some students that are in this as well. And, you know, you, you go to school, you go to university to get a degree. Now, now, there are other good things that happen to many students. You know, I met my wife while working on my undergraduate degree. Uh, I really found out I got closer to my purpose while working on my undergraduate degree, which was not my my purpose and the work that I'm in now was not what I studied in undergraduate. Uh, so so there's a lot of good things that you get when you go to school. But you but most of us go to get a degree. And I and I think one of the things that I, that I've seen has been tough with the last few years is students. Some students kind of like Daniel was saying get, get overwhelmed. They've gotten overwhelmed with the society if you will. And you always got to come back to what, what are you here for? And so don't get consumed with social justice. Now, if there's if, if there's crazy stuff going on on your campus, this injustice that, that you've witnessed, yeah, you need to speak up on that. But but you also have to balance it out. Like, I, I came here to get a degree. I got to figure out the best way for me to get that degree. And something Dana mentioned before that I think parents should always hold in front of their student is treat other folks how you want to be treated. And along with that, sometimes you need to treat folks how they want to be treated. So I think parents have got to remind their students of that. And that gets that helps guide them into mature adulthood um, in, in much more of a healthy fashion. You know, and my three things are civil discourse, 
difference in diplomacy. That, those are the things that I've been preaching to my students. Just hold those things in front. Civil discourse, difference in diplomacy. Because one of the things that's kind of contrary to social, the social media move and technology that I think students need to remember is the value of having face-to-face conversations. And all your work around social justice cannot be in a virtual sense. It's a great tool, but the best work comes when you're having a conversation with a classmate or a roommate that just does not see what you see. Having that conversation via social media sometimes is not going to work. And so I think also for parents to remind students just to have sometimes hard conversations and not think about a larger movement, but just like in your space, like trying to make change in that way, face to face with people. You know, I think it's something good for parents to think about with their students as well. Yeah, awesome. Thank you all. Um, I think those are very great tips, very insightful tips to our audience and how they can support their students. So as we wrap up this episode, um, we want to begin by just thanking Dr. Rob and Ms. Dana Owens for taking the time to be a guest on our show. And if you want to learn more, please check out our other The College Parent Podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a great day and see you all next time.